Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. My name is Matt. And I'm Matt too. We are being a little silly here because it's report day again. Oh, reports, reports, reports. Yeah, something that uh, we didn't do last year because uh, we didn't know they existed on a website. So, of course, we gave ourselves more work to do because that sounds just like us. Yeah, that's exactly what we do because we, if nothing else, we... We, we love the work to do. Everything that we love to do, it sounds like work. Hashtag sounds like work. Which yeah, we, we, we get paid by the report, right? Yeah, of course we do. As far we as I know, paid. the last contract I looked at, we get paid zero cents for everything we talked about because our podcast actually makes zero cents sometimes. See what I did yes, there? Yes, I thought we got paid in Imperial credits. <laughs> well, in that case, I would spend them. So let's start and blow right through these because they were really not a lot of information i didn't really think let's start with the first one which was the main public charter school revocation and non-renewal process report which is based on ld307 right uh, here's my summary of this one that they developed a flow chart of the process of intervention uh, uh, around the schools so they actually have a process when looking at are we going to keep the starter school open or not? So they, yep. So the, we have yep. a flow chart. We have a flow chart. And uh, it's called the intervention flow chart. And uh, it's a chart that flows. I, I like it. Uh, let's go to the next one. It was based on LD664. It's the DOE school board communication report. Yeah. Because they wanted to. Uh, the education committee requested that the DOE implement a listserv for local school board members to assist with communication among various local school boards. How'd that go? Uh, it's uh, my notes say the department communicates directly to disseminate the info now. They, they could, they, yep, they, they can, board members can opt into a lot of things. There's yep. a listserv out there and basically they said, yeah, we have that out there already. And the commissioner meets with the executive committee of the Maine School Boards Association annually. Yes. So if, if board members want to know things, they have been encouraged to sign up to receive DOE newsroom publications. But, uh, you know, you can't force people what to do. Uh, nope. I am aware of at least one board member on a school board that I will remain nameless who makes it a, very, a point almost every board meeting to say that that person does not have any kind of technology. <laughs> no cell phone, no email, no computer, no nothing, and it's a point of pride. So that person is not getting the DOE listserv information. I'm also going to assume that this person is not one of our faithful 17. I, I don't know. That person has never told me such, but well, maybe the fact that they, they, maybe may not, we they don't can, have a... We, do, we can send them a cassette tape. Right. They don't have a device, so I don't know how they would get a streaming podcast. Maybe an eight-track um, of a recording. Yep. So if any of you out there know how to take a podcast recording and turning into an A track, uh, let us know and uh, we'll be contracting with you to send that to this one particular listener because we're going to make this person a listener. I am this sure. This is called differentiation and accommodation, <laughs> folks. I am sure the proposals are going to come flying in. Uh, there's a lot of that, A track podcasts. That, that's, that's, that's just the way things are moving these days. You know, technology is not moving forward, it's moving backward. Let's go to our next one. Speaking of going backward, let's go to the ah. DOE standardized testing opt-out report, which is based on LD-185. Uh, yeah, this now, one, I was really excited to read, actually, because I want to see what they had to say. 
So you go ahead first. Yeah, it's well, it, it, it talks, it first starts by more or less saying that, you know, federal statute requires parents receive a notification indicating their right to request district policies and procedures regarding student participation in state and local assessments. And this would include an opt out procedure if applicable. So what that tells me is that you have to tell them, tell parents when these things are happening. And if your district has created an opt out policy or opt out procedure, you have to include that as well, right? Right. Then it goes on to say that <laughs> we get all this kind of money, by the way, for uh, having participation. And that participation by federal law has to be at 95%. And so if we didn't get that 95%, then we'd be in trouble fiscally. We're not really sure how much that would be, but it would be uh, definitely losing potentially up to, at the maximum, $53 million, which last time I checked is more than I make in a year. Oh, wait, let, let me check. Or um, in a lifetime. Um, darn it, yes to both. Yeah. So what it, what it goes on to say here is, quote, a lower participation rate below 95% will negatively impact a school's state assessment academic performance within Maine's model of school support. And as a result, the accountability calculations for student achievement will appear measurably lower for schools that do not meet the required 95% participation rate for all student groups with 10 or more students. Now, Matt, I don't know about you, it sounds like a threat. It did, it did a little bit. Uh, I've actually part, uh, partaken in one of those threats to a parent once when they Ooh. were questioning me about uh, about having to test or not. And I said, well, you don't really have to. There's, there's no law that says you have to do this sort of thing. But if we don't have enough of you, uh, we may lose all our Title I funding, which helps you know kids with, uh, with math and reading. And this parent said to me, uh, I don't really give a crap about your Title I and how many teachers you'd have to lose. My kid's not taking the test. And I was like, thank you very much. Right. And moved right on. So I don't know how much of a threat that is to a lot of people that don't well, really understand what that means. Yeah, I don't really want to pull the curtain back too much, but no. the 95% is at a state level. Yeah. And not at a district level. Now, yep. the, the, the state will say that, no, other districts need to be 95%, but the reality is, no, because if there's a district, like a, a big urban district or a big high population district, and they only get, say, 80%, 85 percent of their student population but all you know all the other the smaller rural main schools get 99 to 100 percent well the average could be upwards of 95 percent math math so the issue isn't the individual school districts it's the overall and that's where the doe is trying to use that leverage to be like hey we need this money because of the 95 percent participation rate but the reality is is that it's at a statewide level not a individual district level that's a really important that's a point that needs to be very clearly understood. I, I agree. And that point is not always given to parents correctly, I would say. But I also see the DOE's point of view that of course. we do need this money. And as long as this is a federal requirement that is not in our state's hands in any way, shape, or form, uh, we can't just decide to forego standardized testing. Uh, well, we could, but then the U.S. government would be like, well, thank you. You'll also forego $53 million. Yeah, thanks for saving us $53 million. Yep. So we'll put that towards billionaires. So that'd be fine. They then gave some findings and things that they looked at to see like, hey, there are some states that have these things written into law, other states that don't. 
and then they came out with the recommendation mm -hmm. for, the, for the end her. And I'll say the recommendations, quote, it is my recommendation that parents and families receive annual notification regarding local policies related to participation in local and state assessments as outlined in federal statute. It is imperative that Maine school districts are given the autonomy to make the decision regarding non-participation policies and procedures at the local level, end quote. So when you said kick the can down the road a few minutes ago, mm -hmm. they just blamed all the local communities. Do whatever you feel like doing. Well, that's what they said. They said, you know, hey, we want to make sure that everyone knows 95% we'll lose our funding. We'll lose our funding. Don't make sure your, your kids are taking the test, but uh, you decide for yourselves. Yep. Local control folks. There you go. That's what it is. That's welcome. It. Welcome to Maine. They can provide recommendations. They can say what to do, but at the local level, the school boards, and the district decides. So our next one is the DOE truancy and dropout annual report. Oh, it's an annual report. That it's an annual. I know. I was looking for the LD, and then I was like, ooh, no, wait. This one happens every single year. There should be a they, – maybe they do print these reports every year for us. Uh, and oh, we're just finding them because, you know, if we had to do that on, on our own, yeah, it sounds like work. Yeah. So two things I got out of this one was sure. the truancy rate uh, of last year was 5.79%. Uh, which it also mentioned that that is a promising initial decline, although I'm going to assume that was from the year before. I would hope so. Because it only, if it's an in initial decline, I would assume there's only a couple of years worth. I would think I, so. I didn't see that data in there. But so, that's, so that's better. Right. It's better. So those data, those data are may possibly emerging. They don't, they don't quite say like, but there's, there's a potential trend coming. Maybe that's how I read it. That's how I read it too. Uh, I, they also gave us the chronic absenteeism rate for the 18-19 school year, uh, which again is kids that are missing 10 or more days of school. 10% of school days. 10% of school days, sorry. Thank you very much for the clarification. A lot of percents in this one. It was 16.46%. It's one of every six kids, Matt. That's, that's a lot. That is a lot of kids. So there, yeah. are, there are some academic reasons for that. There's some society reasons for that. Well, it, it also comes down to uh, how each school, and I mean school, is monitoring or is recording absenteeism. Yep. And that can literally differ between if the school district has five to seven schools in it, the way that they do attendance could literally differ in every single school. You mean there isn't one system to record this as a state? There is not one system or means by which to record attendance. And according to uh, DOE members who I, I've talked to about this very issue, it comes down to a principal's discretion to determine what is attendant, what is excused or not excused. Like for example, uh, under the current rules and, and statutes, if, a, if kids were to ride the bus and get to school on time, check in for their first period class, then be excused to get on a bus and drive five hours to go play a football game, let's say. They're out of school for more than 50% of the day. That means that they're, ex I mean, they're absent. They are absent. They're considered absent from school because they have not been, instruc been instructional time for 50% of the day. Then my question is, if they're absent for the day, how are they going to possibly play that whatever sport they may be in? I don't know. That's, that's weird. Part of that, that's part of the problem with the way that the chronic absenteeism metric is being 
identified and used because it's completely up to principal's discretion to determine whether it's excused or unexcused or are they actually here or not? Are they here for 50% of the time? And if so, how, do we make it, how, are we, how are we making sure that that's true or not true? And it's completely dependent upon the principal of the building. Sometimes it seems as if these things like aren't thought through all the way. Yeah, it's, it's, I only wish that there was a group of people who could have warned them that this might happen. I wonder. Let's hmm. go to our next one. Things that make you go, hmm. Our next one, and from what I'm seeing, we only have two left. This is the University of Maine System Tuition Waiver Program for Participants in Foster Care Report based on LD 1566. Yeah, and it looks like this is a way to figure out, you know, students in foster care, how many of them are getting financial support or who needs financial support or want financial support. So I found uh, two pieces in the summary that really stood out. Uh, one of them was the application process starts in March instead of February. And that sounds like it's more of a barrier because they're shortening the time. But the reasoning was uh, in order to apply, you have to have a letter of uh, acceptance at that point, And some aren't there by the time February 1st rolls around. So they think March sure. 1st will expand the pool of applicants. And the other recommendation they had was the communication needs to be much better uh, between uh, the schools and the kids, especially if they're denied the waiver. Uh, they were trying to tell kids what their other options are now instead of just saying, no, you didn't get the waiver. Thanks very much. It's like now it's you didn't get the waiver, but here are some other options in order to help you. Right. Which I is seems obvious, but is a really good step towards helping these kids uh, get into college more. Agreed. You know, get, get them at least on the path and help them on the way. And that we, we saw that other bill that had to do with uh, awarding diplomas and certifications to students in either homeless or in foster care. And it just seems like this is an area where kids have been falling through the cracks and districts are, and even the university system are now working to fill in those cracks. I think so too. It did say that there is around, I'm going to approximate here, around 2,400 uh, Mainers who are uh, of traditional college going age who are in foster care or have been adopted through the foster care system or were slash are in permanency guardianships. But only 3% of those are currently benefiting from this program to attend public school without having to pay for tuition that's because only 30 new tuition waivers are granted each year. So they're trying to just expand that, make it more knowledgeable, get more kids into the system. I think that's a good thing. Great. And we'll start with our last report. It was based on LD651. This is the DOE facilitate school access to federal Title I funds and improve the delivery of special education services report. And it was all about uh, the topics were enhancement of response intervention to become an all-encompassing multi-tiered system, facilitation of the process by which schools apply for school-wide status with respect to funds under Title I, increased use of dual certification programs for general ed and special education certifications, reviewing the maintenance of effort funding component of EPS uh, funding for, uh, yeah, EPS, and improvement of the regional programs that facilitate main care billing for medically necessary services for schools. 
I like the last one because it gives more opportunity for main care billing, which I've heard can be cumbersome. Yep. And the rest of it is just, let's look at more of the regulations trying to fix this, streamline this. That's really yeah. all I got out of it. Yeah, it looks like with this report, it's they're, they're not done with their work. Yeah, well, to be honest, I think a lot of these reports, as we discussed on our last pod too, they're, they're not like final reports. They're kind of updates. We're like, yeah, this is an issue. And this is what we're going to, we, this is what we found so far. And this is what we're going to keep working on, even if we don't have to report back to the DOE on this. Right. Which I think is, is a good thing. You know, we love task forces, as we talk about all the time. Yeah. No, they're, they're doing great. their jobs. They're doing their jobs. Yeah. They're saying these are, this is what's, this, this one just says this is what has been done so far. They're not doing any findings. They have no recommendations for legislation needed at this time. Right. But they just, here's what we have to do. I, what's, what's been happening. And you know what we have to do, Matt? We have to do what these do we pods do? weekly because we're talking about testimony. We're previewing hearings. We're obviously, we are going over the reports. We got lots to do. We have a lot to do. It's only it's, January. It and we got lots to do. <laughs> yeah. And how long does this session go for? Uh, thank goodness it's a short one, which means, I don't know, three, four, five years. So, okay, perfect. At least there's an end in sight. Yeah. Yeah. Once the, once the bills all go away, which we know they, they, wait, they, they never go away. They never go away. No, they always continue. Where can you find those bills, Matt? Well, you can find those, but the best way to find those bills, especially if you're listening to this pod podcast is, uh, via Twitter, which is at, follow us, at Main Ed Matters on Twitter, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Main Education Matters. On our website, maineducationmatters.weebly.com, that's where we have a running tally of a, or the spreadsheet of updated bills, what's being pro, uh, provided, gone to the committee, where the, when the testimony has happened, et cetera, when we posted these pods, and we keep, we'll keep track and manage the legislation pathways from there. Yes, we will. We are here, uh, it seems like a couple times a week now. Yep, just, we are. Just for your faithful 17. We may have to expand that to maybe a faithful 18 or 19. It depends. I, yeah, I'm hoping that in 2020, we can get to 20. And with that, we'll talk to you next week. Right, bye. <laughs>